الخير إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات آمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله Rally the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness. We seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there's no one that can lead Him astray. And whoever Allah leads astray, there's no one that can guide Him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone. And that He has no partners. And I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. We would like to begin this evening uh, with the <coughs> first section of hadith from Kitab al-Salat, the chapter of Salat. From the book that we were previously studying in the first course or in the first session of Fiqh al-Hadith, Taysir al-Allam, uh, by Sheikh Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman ibn Sali Ali Bassam, Hafizahullah, may Allah protect and preserve him, who is one of the scholars who has been teaching and is presently teaching fiqh and other subjects in Al-Masjid Al-Haram in Mecca. And this book, Taysir Al-Allam, is a summarized, brief, simple explanation of the famous book of Ahkam, the book of the Hadith concerning the rules and regulations of Ibadah, of worship and buying and selling and marriage and divorce. Uh, that book which is entitled Umdatul Ahkam Umdatul Ahkam by the great scholar Abdul Ghani Abdul Wahid Al Maqdati Al Hanbali who was born in the year 541 after the Hijrah and died in the year 600. <coughs> that book Umdatul Ahkam has many explanations and the one that we are using and have been using uh, previously is the one by Sheikh Abdullah Ali Bassam because of its brevity, shortness and simplicity. So uh, tonight inshallah we would like to begin the second chapter after having completed the hadith of al-Tahara purification we are going to begin with the chapter concerning the prayers Kitab al-Salat and the first uh, topic that we will take in this book is Bab Al-Mawaqeet Fis-Salat Al-Mawaqeet Fis-Salat And there are six hadith in this chapter uh, We will try to take Whatever we are able to take tonight From that chapter uh, The first hadith Is not on the handout uh, Insha'Allah In the next uh, session In the next class I will include it with the following hadith the first hadith um, is hadith number 44. You'll see in the sheet that we have given out, it starts with hadith number 45. 
In any case, we'll start with hadith number 44 and uh, it will be included inshallah in the future. First, uh, the Shaykh uh, begins his explanation of this chapter, Kitab al-Salat, with the definition of Salat linguistically and in the technical language of the Sharia. He says that Salat linguistically it means a dua Salat linguistically it means a dua Al-Qadi Ayyad, one of the great scholars of Hadith, who has one of the first explanations of Sahih Muslim that Imam Nawawi took much from in his explanation of Sahih Muslim, Al-Qadi Ayyad, Rahimahullah, uh, said that this definition of Salat, that it is a dua linguistically, this is the saying of most of the scholars of Arabic language and the saying of most of the scholars of Islamic jurisprudence, the scholars of fiqh as well as the scholars of Arabic language. And he says that uh, this usage of the word a dua uh, it being called salat. Dua we tr- usually translate as supplication and they said that at salat linguistically it means a dua and this is something that is well known in the Arabic language due to the relationship between supplication and salat. That supplication is a part of salat and often in the Arabic language they may refer to a thing by a part of it. So here we find uh, the relation between the two words as-salat which generally means the prayers and ad-du'a which generally means supplication. Uh, linguistically the meaning of salat is du'a. Technically in the sharia the meaning of as-salat is aqwal wa af'al muftafihatun bit-takbir muhtatimatun بالتسليم مع النية أقوال things وأفعال actions which begin with تكبير saying الله أكبر and they end with تسليم saying السلام عليكم مع النية along with intention this is the technical meaning of الصلاة it is sayings and actions which begin with takbir and end with taslim and also there should be intention, niyyah. This is the technical meaning of as-salat. The five prayers, as-salawat al-khams, they are one of the pillars of Islam. One of the five pillars of Islam is the five obligatory prayers. In fact, these prayers or the salat is the greatest of the pillars of Islam after al-shahadatayn, the testimony of the Tawheed of Allah and the Prophet of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this is established both in the Qur'an as well as in the Sunnah and due to consensus or ijma' of the scholars. Whoever denied this pillar of Islam as salat, that person has went out of Islam and become a disbeliever. There are many benefits, he says, there are many benefits in the legislation of Salat which all of them could not be mentioned. Those benefits could be categorized into those benefits which are the religious benefits. 
دنيوية worldly benefits الصحية health benefits الاجتماعية social benefits السياسية political benefits and النظامية uh, I don't know نظامية uh, benefits يعني نظام means like system systematic doing things systematically so it also gives us some benefit in systematizing the life of the Muslim or the society of the Muslims he says that if anyone any writer was to try to enumerate all of these benefits it would really take a long time and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is the most wise and the best of rulers when he made the salat obligatory this is a sign of the wisdom of Allah due to the fact that in upholding and establishing the salat is the upholding of this dunya as well as that is this world as well as the akhirah the next life because salat is the foundation of the life of the Muslim in this world and it is the cause of happiness and success for the Muslim in the next life the salat has obligatory things as well as conditions, preconditions as well as uh, those things which are extra to make the salat more perfect there are also those matters which nullify or invalidate the salat and those things which decrease the perfection or the reward of the salat and these matters are so many there are so many uh, of the shurut of salat the first of them is al-tahara which we completed in our first course al-tahara is the first precondition for salat the preconditions, the shurut of salat are those things which have to be fulfilled before the salat can be performed the, the first of them is al-tahara if a person is not in a state of purification then the prayer cannot be accepted uh, the second of the conditions of salat is that the prayers should be performed in their proper times and this is the matter that we are going to discuss this evening the timings of the salat yani the prayer cannot be performed before its time except in those conditions that are known in the law which came to yani, uh, which have been made known to us through the revelation of the Quran and through the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam so the chapter we want to discuss tonight is related to the timings of the salat when is it proper and permissible for one to perform these five obligatory prayers that are obligatory on us in the day and the night he says al-mawaqeet the, the word al-mawaqeet is the plural of miqat and the intended meaning here is the mawaqeet al-zamaniyya yani those uh, boundaries or timings that are related to there are mawaqid uh, that are related to places like the miqat for hajj the mawaqid for hajj are the places that you cannot cross without getting into ihram for hajj or umrah but huh? miqat but what we want to talk about tonight is the miqat of the salat yani the timings or the boundaries of the salat the set boundaries for the performance of the obligatory prayers because the entry of the time of the 
salat is a condition without which the prayer is not accepted. So it is of utmost importance to know when the prayer, uh, when its time begins and when it ends. The first hadith is hadith number 44 which is not on our handout. It is the hadith that's reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim on the authority of Abi Amr al-Shaybani and his name was Sa'ad ibn Iyas. He said, حدثني صاحب هذه الدار وأشار بيده إلى دار عبد الله ابن مسعود رضي الله عنه. He said that it has been reported to me from the one who owns this house, the one who lives in this house, and he was pointing to the house of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud رضي الله عنه. May Allah be pleased with him. قال سألت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أي الأعمال أحب إلى الله عز وجل. He that is Abdullah ibn Mas'ud رضي الله عنه said I asked the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم which of the deeds or the actions are most beloved to Allah the Mighty and the Majestic. قال the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said الصلاة على وقتها the most beloved of deeds to Allah is the salat being performed in its time. The salat being performed on time. This is the most beloved of deeds to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Qultu, Abdullah ibn Masood said, I said, Thumma ayyun. Then what? What is next most beloved to Allah? And he said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, birru walidain. Being kind or good, good treatment of parents. Birru walidain. Qultu, then I said, which is next or which is most beloved to Allah after that? فقال, that is the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa then said, الجهاد في سبيل الله. الجهاد or fighting in the way of Allah, in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. قال, that is Abdul ibn Mas'ud, he said, حدثني بهن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ولو استزدته لزادني. He said that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, has informed me of these things, these actions which are most beloved to Allah. And if I had asked him for more, if I would have continued to ask him what is most beloved to Allah after that, he would have given me more. <coughs> the general meaning of this hadith, as we did in the chapter of Tahara, after mentioning the hadith, the Shaykh usually gives the general meaning of that hadith and then those things that are derived from it. So the general meaning of this hadith, he says that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa about the actions of obedience to Allah. About actions of obedience to Allah. Which of them is most beloved to Allah the Most High? <coughs> because as long as or as much as a deed is beloved to Allah to that extent its reward would be more. The more it is beloved to Allah, the more reward for it. So he wanted to know which deeds would get you the most reward. He asked which deeds are most beloved to Allah. The more they are beloved to Allah, the more the reward for them. So the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in clarifying or answering this question, he said that the most beloved deeds to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is the obligatory prayers being performed on time. The times that have been set by the legislator, by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, through the revelation to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.
this is important that the prayers be performed on time because in performing the prayers on time we see that a person goes forward and rushes to answer the call of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and also to implement or to act upon that which he has commanded us with and also in this in knowing the times of the prayer and answering them on time it shows a person's care and concern and consideration and the importance they give to this very very great obligation that Allah has put upon us it was from the desire of Abdul ibn Mas'ud to seek al-khayr, to seek good that he didn't stop after asking which was the most beloved deed to Allah and the Prophet told him salat, prayer on time but he went further to ask more and he asked him what was next most beloved to Allah and he told him that it was kindness or goodness to one's parents the first of these two deeds is that which is purely the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala salat and the second of them is that which belongs purely and exclusively to parents the first of them is purely for Allah and the second one is purely for parents no one shares with them in these two things no one shares with Allah in the salat the ibadah and no one shares with one's, one's parents the right of being kind to them and good to them the, parent, the right of the parents immediately came after the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in fact due to Allah raising the importance of the rights of parents he has actually combined or joined the rights of parents with his rights the right of Allah being worshipped alone in many places in the Quran he joined these two together due to يعني, the great obligation and the right of Allah over the human being and the right of the parents over their children <clears throat> and he says here that the rights of the parents their great right over their, over their children uh, one of the reasons for that is that the parents were the cause after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the creator they were the cause of bringing that child into this world they also raised that child they fed and nourished him cared for him and يعني, fulfilled all of the child's needs <coughs> for this reason uh, in exchange for that the child is expected to be kind and good to the parents and this is يعني, only part of fulfilling the rights of the parents يعني, for all that they have done for us يعني, being kind to them it doesn't fulfill their rights over us completely but it's only one of their rights then Abdul ibn Masood asks more he asked what was the next, the third stage or third level of those things, those deeds which are most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said al-jihad or fighting in the way of Allah because it is the <coughs> highest point of Islam it is the foundation that Islam would not stand without it the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is made high and the deen of Allah is spread through jihad fi sabilillah the jihad fi sabilillah you can see that it is one of those things that's not uh, limited 
the benefit is not limited to the individual but it is for the benefit of the whole of the society whoever leaves it it is a means to the destruction of Islam and the destruction of the people of Islam and the loss of the respect uh, and the sovereignty of the people of Islam and the authority and the Islamic State and it is one of the most confirmed ab- obligations on every Muslim as the Prophet وسلم, said whoever doesn't make jihad or fighting in the way of Allah or doesn't at least consider it and think about it to himself then that person dies in يعني, on some degree of hypocrisy whoever doesn't fight in jihad or at least consider think about it, have a desire for it then that person dies يعني, on a degree of hypocrisy then he says the things that are derived from this hadith the first of them is that the most beloved deed to Allah the most high is salat on its time then kindness to parents then jihad in the way of Allah <coughs> and all of these things are after first the existence and the establishment of al-iman yani after the person has iman then comes salat and kindness to parents and jihad and other actions because all of these ibadat or acts of worship are only roots or sources that come from the root the essence which is iman so iman is the foundation and then from them from the iman comes these other acts of worship or acts of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so the most beloved deeds to Allah are these things but even before them is al-iman because without iman these things have no value or benefit <coughs> the second point he says that this question is really intended to be a question about the uh, physical deeds or acts of obedience and this is understood from the answer of the Prophet ﷺ. he answered by saying salat kindness to parents and jihad but this question was not meant to be a question about the acts of obedience of the heart and the most highest of them is iman the acts of obedience of the heart such as fear of Allah love of Allah and so on this is another category of deeds and actions but this question was primarily directed towards the actions the physical actions of the human being and that's understood from the answer because the Prophet ﷺ didn't say Iman he didn't say love of Allah, he didn't say fear of Allah, he didn't say so many other things that are the actions of the heart number three the third thing derived from this hadith uh, is that actions are not all on one level or of one degree in terms of preference the actions, the acts of obedience are on different levels, they are not all the same uh, and each one, its level is determined by uh, how close it is to Allah, how much it is beloved by Allah, the benefit that is achieved from it, and so on. So he asked, what deed should we give preference to? Knowing that the deeds are on different levels, the benefit of them may be different, some may be closer to Allah than others, then he asked in order to know if we know which ones are closer to Allah and more beloved to Allah and more beneficial then we will give preference to those deeds over other deeds 
And this is very important that we shouldn't give preference to doing deeds which are good but they are less than these which are more beloved to Allah. If they are these which are more beloved to Allah, they have preference. This is one of the tricks of shaitan, that if he cannot get someone to make shirk, and he cannot get someone to outright yani, do acts of disbelief, and he cannot get them to do bid'ah, and so on, then one of the levels of his deceiving and misleading the people is to get them to become occupied with deeds, with deeds which are less, Beneficial and less beloved to Allah to leave those which are more beloved to Allah and more beneficial. So it's important to know which deeds are more beloved to Allah in order to give preference to them over the deeds which are also good deeds but are not of the same level. And this is the, these levels of the tricks or traps of Shaitan mentioned by Ibn Qayyim in one of his books, I don't remember, but I read it some time ago. <laughs> also, number four, uh, he says specifically that deeds are preferable and have higher status over other deeds due to the fact that one is more beloved to Allah than another. Yani specifically in reference to the love of Allah for that thing over another thing. The fifth thing is the affirmation and confirmation of the sifa or the characteristic of al-mahabba for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yani in Aqeedah, we said in Asma wa Sifat that we cannot name Allah by any name nor describe Him by any description except that it has been confirmed in the Quran or Sunnah. That names and characteristics of Allah are tawqifiyah. They are based on revelation from Quran and Sunnah. Not for us to describe Allah or to name Allah by what we think is suitable or fitting for Him but it has to be confirmed in the Quran and Sunnah. And here's the confirmation of one of the characteristics of Allah, the sifa of al-mahabba, that love, that Allah loves some things. This is a characteristic we may describe Allah with, as it has been confirmed in this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. But we should say, as we always say, that any description that Allah is described by, it is described or it is attributed to Him in a way that is fitting and appropriate and suitable to the majesty and glory of Allah. Not like the love of human beings. The love of Allah is not like love of human beings. Just like Allah's seeing is not like seeing of human beings and so on. Yani whatever description we describe Allah with, we have to remember that the, the love that we are describing Allah with is not the love of human beings, but it is a high love that is suitable and fitting to the majesty and greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number six, the six points that we derive from this hadith <coughs> is the, that it is virtuous to ask about knowledge, to ask questions, to learn, especially to ask about the important things. Because this question, because of this question of Abdul ibn Rasul radiallahu anhu, we have gotten a great benefit from him asking the question. This shows the importance of asking questions. We should not remain silent. When there is a chance to ask questions, we should ask in order that we will get such benefit to know those things that we don't know. Number seven, the last point we derive from this hadith is that uh, sometimes we may leave off asking about some things uh, due to various reasons. From amongst them, it may be out of Yani respect, high respect for the person who is being asked. As Abdullah bin Masood radiallahu anhu, he said, had I asked more 
he would have given me more. But because of his great respect for the Prophet ﷺ, he was shy to keep asking him on and on and on. So he asked one or two or three times and he let it go at that. So also sometimes we shouldn't go too far. Sometimes the scholar will come to us and we could keep him all night until morning. And because he is humble, he will sit, even though he wants to leave. But we ourselves don't realize that perhaps he might be tired, he might have other things to attend to. And sometimes it happened that some scholars came to us and we talked to them five, six, seven, eight, nine hours and we didn't let them go until somebody who had some sense said, you know this man is uh, 80 years old, give him a break, let him go, it's uh, 3 o'clock in the morning. No one considers such, but also we should think about this, that we should sometimes leave off asking some questions due to such reasons and not go too far or go beyond the bounds or to the extreme. Uh, here he says that there is a great benefit and this is what is derived from this hadith and now this is a side point he says here <coughs> that the Prophet sallallahu was asked about the superiority of deeds a number of times not only by Abdullah ibn Mas'ud but others also asked him on other occasions about the superiority or the levels of deeds or acts of obedience to Allah and he وسلم, used to answer those questions with that which was appropriate for the occasion. He didn't always say what he said in this answer to Abdul ibn Mas'ud, but he used to answer with that which was appropriate for the occasion and that which was beneficial and suitable for the one who was asking the question. <coughs> and the answer was fitting for the person who was asking. For this reason, Sometimes he said that the most beloved deed to Allah is Salat at the beginning of its time. Another time he said the most beloved deed to Allah is Jihad in the way of Allah. And another time he said a sadaqah or charity is most beloved to Allah. And that was due to the condition of the person or the people that he was addressing and the answer that he gave to those particular people or that particular person on that particular occasion was the most suitable answer for that time. And there's no doubt that these answers, there's wisdom in it and right guidance in it. <coughs> and it shows that these answers are the answers of the one who is seeking people, seeking or looking or encouraging the people to do good deeds and for the general benefit of the community. For verily, the Islamic deen is a deen that deals with the reality of the circumstances of the people in its rulings and regulations and its actions. For this reason, it is required or expected that the superiority of some deeds over others should be based on this point, that the superiority it is based on the, I mean, the conditions of the people and the circumstances that they are dealing with. Perhaps at a certain time when there were many people who were in need of assistance or aid, it might be, the answer might be given that sadaqah is the most beloved deed to Allah in order to encourage the people to give more charity. That might be the necessary thing at that time. We found today, for example, that many of the Muslims all over the Muslim world are giving charity more than they normally give in their lives because of the need of the Muslims in Kosovo right now. Many people are giving charity. Some women are giving their jewelry. Some men are giving part of their salaries. And people are giving and giving and giving, not like we are normally doing. 
because of the occasion. So perhaps in this time and these circumstances, the most beloved deed to Allah for this circumstance is that he, he likes for the Muslims to give charity for those needy people who are in such a terrible condition. <coughs> for every person there is a deed that is most correct and better for him. And he would not be successful except by that deed. So it is necessary that this should be considered the need of the person and that which is beneficial for him and the timing which may differ from one person to another and from one time to another. Uh, then he says, yani there is a time that sadaqah may be the most preferable of deeds over other deeds and the time when the people are hungry or in need and another time seeking the Islamic knowledge might be the most preferable deed because of the benefit and the need for it at that particular time due to the ignorance of the people in the Muslim society at that time and so on uh, and so also the sh- what should be considered is the conditions uh, of the day and the night the hour of seeking forgiveness and supplication and so on yani one time might be the deed that might be preferable uh, is different than another time. For example, in the middle of the night, the deed that's most preferable would be Qiyamul Layl. Or before Fajr, getting up in the night praying and seeking forgiveness of Allah, and so on. In the daytime, a different deed might be more preferable. The next hadith, hadith number 45, is the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha. Qalat, laqad kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yusalli al-Fajr, fatashhadu ma'ahu nisa'un من المؤمنات متلفعات بمروتهن ثم يرجعن إلى بيوتهن ما يعرفهن أحد من الغلف عائشة رضي الله عنها she said that the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم used to pray the Fajr prayer and some of the women believers who used to cover themselves with their aprons they used to also attend or be present at the Fajr prayer in congregation with the Prophet some of the women used to also attend and they used to be present then they used to return to their homes after the prayer they used to return to their homes and no one could recognize them due to the darkness due to the darkness of the night yeah, and after the Fajr prayer was finished it was still dark outside this is an indication of the time that the Prophet used to pray the Fajr prayer he used to pray it so early at the beginning of the dawn such that when the prayer was finished it was still dark enough outside that the women used to return to their homes and they could not be recognized due to the darkness. <coughs> uh, here he says the meaning of this hadith, the general meaning is that Aisha radiallahu anha she mentioned that some of the women, women of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum ajma'een the Sahaba and their wives and daughters uh, they used to cover themselves with their garments and they used to go to attend the dawn prayer with the Prophet and then they used to return from the prayer to their homes at the time when only a slight bit of the light was mixing with the darkness such that if anyone looked at them due to the fact that it was still very dark though there, there was some light of course it, was after, it had to be after the break of dawn and there was some light 
but due to yani, the little bit of light and the greatness of the darkness, if someone was to look at them, uh, they would not be able to see them. Here he says there's ikhtilaf of the scholars. This is a point of ikhtilaf. The ikhtilaf of the scholars is concerning which time is preferable for the salat of Fajr, the dawn prayer. Which time is preferable? The first opinion is the opinion of the Hanafiya, the Hanafi Madhab, and they said that the preferable time is when it is bright, when the brightness of dawn is very bright, al-Isfar, when you can see the brightness of the dawn. Yani before sunrise, but when the, when the dawn, the light of dawn has been spread in the sky such that it's bright outside. They said that this is the preferable time and that is due to the hadith in which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and it's reported Asfaru bil fajr fa'innahu a'adhamu lil ajr Asfaru bil fajr that means pray the fajr prayer at the time when it's bright when the dawn is bright for verily it is the uh, it is great, the reward is greater the reward for praying the fajr at that time is greater Al-Imam Al-Tirmidhi, who narrated this hadith, said the hadith is Hassan Sahih. It is a good and authentic hadith. The second opinion is the opinion of the Jamhur, the majority of scholars, the Jamhur, and that includes the three Imams, that is, Al-Imam Malik, and Al-Imam uh, Al-Shafi'i, and Al-Imam Ahmed, Rahimahumullah, and Allah have mercy on all of them. Their opinion is that the preferable time is At-Taghlis, yani at the time uh, when it is still very, very dark outside, at the beginning of the break of dawn, when it's still dark. And this is based on many authentic hadith, and from amongst them is the hadith which we just read, that the Prophet ﷺ used to lead them in prayer, and the women used to return to their homes, it was still dark outside, so that no one could see them. That was after the prayer. And remember, the, the Fajr prayer was the longest prayer that the Prophet ﷺ used to pray, and in some of the hadith, as will come, inshallah, it mentioned that he used to recite from 60 to 100 ayats, in the Fajr prayer. So that means he used to recite long recitation and even when he was finished the prayer it was still dark outside. In any case these are the two opinions. The second opinion of the majority of scholars they said after the hadith that they mentioned such as the one of this chapter here they also answered the hadith of the first group they said that the meaning of Asfiru bil Fajr that pray the Fajr when it is yani bright outside and the reward is greater they said, they gave many answers, maybe the best of them, he gives two of the answers that they gave or response that they gave. The first of them, they said that it is yani, one of the meanings or the intended meanings of the Prophet ﷺ commanding them to pray after it is bright outside is to assure that the dawn has broken. Yani, to assure that they don't pray too early, even before dawn. To make sure that there is light in the sky, it's clear enough so that you can be sure that the dawn has actually come. Because if you pray the prayer before it's time, it's not accepted. Uh, so that the people wouldn't rush and pray the prayer before it's time. And here he said uh, that in the hadith it mentions, فَإِنَّهُ أَعْظَمُ بِالْأَجْرِ That it is أَعْظَمُ yani That the reward is much greater to pray at that time. And they said here, as it is uh, accepted and understood in the Arabic language that this expression A'adhamu is on the wazan Af'alu which means that something is better like you say um, uh, for example uh, what if you want to say something is big, kabir 
bigger you say أَفْعَلُ أَكْبَرُ the biggest so here أَعْظَمُ means the greatest reward for such but they said that even in Arabic language sometimes such an expression is used to mean other than that which we would normally expect it to mean that it's greater than and perhaps it only means that the reward is great but not the greatest reward to be prayed at that time is there someone here who wants uh, maybe there's someone here and the second one they said the second answer that they gave is that perhaps he uh, meant by al-isfar that the prayer should be performed the fajr prayer should be performed with long recitation yani that they shouldn't pray it short and then uh, return it quickly but they should pray the prayer long so that when the prayer is finished there should be brightness in the sky because this is more beloved yani lengthening the recitation of the, of the recitation of Quran in the Fajr prayer is mustahab to lengthen the recitation uh, and that the prayer shouldn't be finished until it is clear that the dawn has arrived or the dawn has broken in any case these are two of the opinions of the scholars some of them said that it should be prayed in the earlier time as soon as the dawn breaks and some said it should be prayed when the dawn is clear when there's some brightness in the sky so that you see and know for sure that the dawn has broken uh, from this hadith he mentions two points that the things that are derived from this hadith are two the first of them is that it is mustahab or beloved or commendable or preferable uh, to perform the Fajr prayer in the beginning of its time yani from this hadith it appears that the Prophet ﷺ performed the prayer in the beginning of its time the second thing uh, that you derive from this hadith is the permissibility of the women attending the prayers in the masjid with the men as long as there is no fear of fitna or yeah, any problem from the women mixing with the men or such things uh, and that they should protect themselves in the way that they dress and display themselves and not yeah, any, uh, mix with the men or wear attractive clothing or perfume or such things so here uh, even though some of the people today consider the prohibition of women praying in the masjids here we see in this hadith that it is permissible for the women to join the congregational prayers in the masjid with the men as did the women in the time of the Prophet the permissibility of it but of course with the conditions that they shouldn't display themselves they shouldn't go out with perfume and they shouldn't mix with the men but as we know from other hadith the best rows for the men are the first rows and the best rows for the women are the last rows meaning that they should be separated the next hadith is hadith number 46 and that hadith is the hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhuma may Allah be pleased with Jabir and his father Abdullah he said kana anabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallama yusalli al-zuhr bil-hajira and in some narrations bil-hajira wal-asr wal-shams naqiyyatun والمغرب إذا وجبت والعشاء أحيانا أحيانا إذا رآهم اجتمعوا أجل وإذا رآهم أبتأوا أخر والصبح كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يصليها بغلس 
Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhu said that the messenger of Allah used to yani kana that means he used to do it regularly not that he did it one time but it was his normal practice to pray the zuhur prayer bil that is at midday when the sun begins to decline from the highest point from the meridian as soon as it begins to decline at midday this is called hajira or hajira he said that the prophet sallallahu used to pray the zuhur prayer bil hajira and he used to pray the Asr prayer while the sun was naqiyah, was bright and hot, while the sun was bright in the sky. When it's midway from declining before sunset, between the descending of the sun from the highest point until sunset, midway between there, not when the sun is close to setting and it becomes yellowish and then reddish and its heat is decreased and its brightness is decreased. But he said he used to pray the Asr prayer when the sun was naqiyatun, pure, bright and hot. Wal-Maghrib idha wajabat, and he used to pray the Maghrib prayer when the sun set. When it completely descended below the horizon, when there's no, uh, nothing left of the disk of the sun, even though the light of the sun, the redness, the redness and the brightness of the sun remain in the sky, but when the sun itself, the disk, the round disk of the sun descended below the horizon, then he used to pray the Maghrib prayer at that time. Wal-Isha ahyanan wa ahyanan. He used to pray the Isha at different times, at variable times. Ida ra'ahum ijtama'u ajjalu. Whenever he used to see the people gathered together, they came to the masjid, most of the people were present, then he used to pray it quickly. The Isha prayer. Wa ida ra'ahum abta'u akhara. But when he saw the people delaying, coming late to the prayer, in the time of the Isha prayer, he saw not many people came, then he used to delay it. وَالصُّبْحُ كَانَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يُصَلِّيهَا بِغَلَفٍ And as for the morning prayer, as-subh or al-fajr, he used to pray it at the time when it was very, very dark. غَلَفٍ When it was still very, very dark. At the beginning of the break of dawn. And here he says that the words used in this hadith, uh, Zalas, he says, it is the darkness at the end of the night with only some light in the beginning of the light of dawn. Here the meaning of this hadith, he says, Shaykh Ali Bassam, he says here, the meaning of this hadith, the general meaning of the hadith, in this hadith there is clarification of the preferable time for the prayers. The preferable time. Uh, the preferable time for the performance of the prayers. The preferable time of the five prayers said that the prayer of Zuhr is at the time when the sun begins to decline from its zenith, from the highest point in the sky, from being directly overhead. <coughs> the Asa prayer, he used to pray when the sun was still white and bright. When the yellowness had not yet begin to appear from the sun yani when it is almost setting and at the time when the shadow of a thing is equal to its length yani he used to pray the Asa prayer at the time when the shadow of anything was equal to the length of that thing 
the Maghrib prayer, he used to pray at the time of the setting of the sun, when the sun actually disappeared from the sky. Yeah, I mean the physical round disk of the sun was not visible. It descended below the horizon. And as you can see, all of these are the beginning of the times of prayer. These are the beginnings or the first time in which the prayer may be performed. As for the Isha prayer, he used to consider in the performance of the Isha prayer the condition of the people who were coming for the prayer. He used to determine the time for the Isha prayer based on the people. If the people were present in the beginning of the time of the Isha prayer, in the first time when it's allowed to perform it, that is at the time when the brightness or the redness of the sun, the redness of the sun had disappeared from the sky. And after the sun sets, the redness of the sun remains in the sky. But when that redness disappears and is not seen anymore, this is the beginning of the time of the Isha prayer. And if the people were present in the masjid, the majority of the people had already come to the masjid at that time, then he used to pray it in the beginning of its time. But if they had not come, not many of the people had come, then he would delay it up until half of the night, the first half of the night, because this is the preferable time. Yeah, and praying the Isha prayer at half of the night is the preferable time if it would not be a hardship on the people. And it is mentioned in some hadith that he used to sometimes delay the prayer until one third of the night and sometimes to one half of the night. And in some of the hadith he said that this is its time. If it wasn't, wouldn't have been a hardship, لَوْلَا and أَشُكَّ If it wouldn't be a hardship or a difficulty on the people, then he would have performed it at this time. And the fifth prayer, Salat al-Subh or Salat al-Fajr, the dawn prayer, is at the beginning of the time when the light of dawn becomes or mixes with the darkness of the night. Those are the points that, uh, that he mentions here, the general meaning of the hadith. And then he says there is some benefit, just as a point of benefit, before the points that are derived from the hadith, this is an extra point, he says, um, from this hadith you might understand that it is preferable to perform the prayer, the Zohar prayer, in its earliest time. Yani that it is preferable to perform it in its earliest time. This is what is understood from this hadith. But that understanding is clarified and modified by the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, which is reported in the Sahih of Muslim. إِذَا اشْتَدَّ الْحَرُّ فَأَبْرِدُوا بِالصَّلَاةِ فَإِنَّ شِدَّةَ الْحَرُّ مِنْ فَيْحَ جَهَنَّمِ The Prophet ﷺ in this hadith, uh, he said, as reported by Abu Hurair radiallahu anhu, that if the heat is intensive and severe, yani in the summertime when it's very, very hot, and the hottest time is the time of Dhuhr, if the heat is very, very severe, فَأَبْرِدُوا بِالصَّلَاةِ then that means, abridu means perform the prayer when it's cooler, when the sun declines a little bit. Between the bounds of the beginning of the time of Zohar up until after, it's permissible. He said then delay it until it cools down a little bit. Delay the Zohar prayer until a little later time. فَإِنَّ شِدَّةَ الْحَرِّ مِنْ فَيْحَ جَهَنَّمِ Because verily the intensity or the severity of the heat at this time of day is from the exhalation or the raging of the hellfire. So the Prophet ﷺ also encouraged in the hot days 
to delay the Zohar prayer a little bit until it's a little cooler, cooler outside. Uh, and this hadith is reported in uh, Al-Bukhari and Muslim. And in the narration of, in, the, in another narration that's only reported by Muslim, the hadith of Khabbab radiallahu anhu, it is reported that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, or that it was said that they complained to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam about the heat of the day and it's a time of dhuhr, but he didn't uh, respond to their complaint. Yani they desired to delay the prayer a little bit until it was cooler, but the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam didn't yeah, and he give them permission to do so. Uh, and that was perhaps for fear of them delaying it too much until the time for the prayer would go out. So it should be some balance between the two. And if it's very, very hot, then the leader or the imam in the village or in the community or the town or the people responsible might delay the Doha prayer a little bit until it's a little cooler, but not delay it so much until perhaps the time for Asa will come. From this hadith, he mentions a number of points. The first of them is the preferability of hastening to perform the prayers in general in the beginning of their time except Isha. Except Isha. Because Isha, it appears as though it is preferable to, lay, to, to delay it till a later time to one third of the night or to one half of the night if it would not be a hardship on the people who are praying in that masjid. If it would not be a hardship on the people in that community, then it's preferable to delay the Isha prayer. The other prayers, it is preferable to pray them in their first time. Number two, that the best thing in Isha is to delay it, and it should be delayed until half of the night, as, been, as it has been authentically reported in a, no, a number of hadith. And of course this is on the condition, as we already said, that the people, that the majority, yani, uh, of the people it would not be a hardship on them and that the majority of the people had not already come to the masjid and if the majority of the people came to the masjid early then the imam shouldn't delay it to one third of the night or to one uh, half of the night that would be a hardship on them making them wait and wait and wait uh, while they are all present if only a few people were present then it's better for him to delay it but if most of the people are present then he should and he pray it in the earlier time uh, the third point is that the Imam should consider the condition of the people who are praying behind him and try to reduce the difficulty on the people. At the same time, he should make the prayer complete and perfect and he should lengthen the recitation in those prayers where the recitation should be lengthened but without making a hardship on the people. Yani, the point here is that the Imam is expected to consider the people. The Prophet ﷺ, if he knew that there was old people or sick people, or he heard the crying of babies and the mothers were in the prayers, he used to consider that and reduce his recitation in order to not be a hardship on the people who are behind him. The Imam should consider such. I remember when I was uh, in Medina, some of the Imams used to make the prayer for Zuhur very long. And it is from the Sunnah that the first rakah of the Prophet ﷺ used to recite 30 ayahs in Zohar prayer, long ayahs, and 15 in the second rakah. So to do this without consideration of the fact that some of the people, especially in highest time in Ramadan, at the time of Zohar, are praying outside in the sun, not in the masjid, in air conditioning. And one brother said, there's one old Imam, he was the head of the uh, mahkamah, the chief qadi, 
that when he used to pray the Zohar prayer, he always used to in the summertime when it was very hot and there were crowds of people in Ramadan or in Hajj time, he used to shorten the Zohar prayer. That means he had fiqh or understanding of considering the condition of the people that are praying behind him. This is very important that the Imam should consider the people. The next point is that uh, in this hadith there is an evidence that uh, the darkness, yani when it's very very dark in the beginning of the time of, 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 of uh, Fajr, in the beginning of the time of the dawn, um, that this is the time for the Fajr prayer or the preferable time. Uh, and this hadith is a proof against those who said that it's better to pray it closer to the time of sunrise or yani, after some delay of the Fajr prayer. Uh, and the last point that he mentions from this hadith is that in it is an evidence that the salat in jama'ah or performing the prayer in congregation has more, yani, should be considered or given more consideration than performing the prayer in its first time, in the beginning of the time. Yani, if you have a choice between performing the prayer in the beginning of its time, which is generally preferable to perform the prayer in the beginning of its time, the choice between that and performing the prayer with the majority of the people, then it is better that you delay the prayer for the majority of the people to allow the people to pray in jama'ah than to pray it in the beginning of its time. And this is based on the practice of the Prophet He used to, when the people were present, he would pray it in the beginning of its time. But if the people delayed, then he used to delay to allow the people to join him in the congregational prayer. And this is especially in the Isha prayer, yani in consideration of the people. Okay, this is the last of what he said about this hadith. And inshallah, due to the time, we can stop here. Take a few minutes for any comments or corrections or questions uh, concerning the hadith which we have discussed until now. If there are any questions from the sisters, please send them. We have about five minutes before the Adhan, insha'Allah. Any questions from the brothers or any comments? Now. 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 Now, in terms of the women, this he says that here the Sheikh said that. Um, Here, the two points he mentioned from this hadith, one of them is that it is preferable or mustahab or commendable to perform the prayer in the beginning of its time. The second point is the permissibility of the women coming to the masjid to attend the congregational prayer with the men, as long as there is no fear of them mixing with the men or other things that they are not allowed to do. Here he said what? Jawaz, Ityan and Nisa. That means it's permissible. Not that it is preferable or obligatory. It's not obligatory on the women to attend the congregational prayer. It's obligatory on the men, not on the women. And we are not even saying that it's preferable for the women to attend the congregational prayer. But he is saying that it is permissible. As uh, Brother Amir says, Ani, that this hadith is a proof of the permissibility of the women. Not that it is preferable. Because in fact it is preferable for the women to pray in their homes as it's narrated in the hadith or even in their private room or in a corner of their house. And the more private it is for them, the more rewardable and preferable it is. And the Prophet ﷺ indicated this at the time when the women used to come and pray the congregation prayer in his masjid with him. 
He said that the prayer for the women is better for them in their homes. But he allowed them to come. And also in another hadith, in the hadith of Ibn Umar, he said, don't prevent the women or the slave, yani the slave women of Allah from attending the masjid if they ask you permission. And if the women ask their husband's permission, they should not be prevented except if the man fears that some harm would come to them or otherwise. Otherwise, they should be allowed to attend even though it is preferable for them to pray at home. Any other comment? No. No. If you mean six o'clock, you mean late, after the time of the prayer. We will come to this later about making up the prayers. And if someone missed the time for the prayer, how the prayer should be made up. We will find when we discuss this, that the making up of the prayers, the prayer should be performed as it is normally performed. And the Prophet ﷺ, when he missed the prayers and performed them after their time, there are hadith indicating that he used to perform that prayer after its time, the same way he used to perform it in his time. That is, for example, when he missed the Asa prayer, during one of the battles, the battle of Khandaq, the battle was intense, and the Prophet ﷺ and some of the Sahaba were unable to perform the Asa prayer in its time, until after sunset. Umar ibn al-Khattab he came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, he cursed the mushrikeen. For them delaying, causing us to delay our prayer, he said, I almost didn't perform the Asa prayer until sunset. Omar, the Prophet said, I didn't even perform it. Yani he didn't even perform it. And he said, may fire be in their bellies and in their homes. May Allah fill their bellies and their homes and their graves with fire. In this hadith, it's mentioned that the Prophet then performed the Asa prayer after sunset. And the Maghrib prayer after that, and it said that he performed it as he used to perform it normally. That means the Asa prayer is normally performed silently, yani not out loud recitation. The day prayers, Goha and Asa, are performed silently. The night prayers are performed orally, out loud. But he performed the Asa prayer as he used to perform it normally, like the day prayer, even though he performed it in the night. That means that if you woke up late to perform the Fajr prayer, you should perform it as you normally perform it. There's even hadith which show that the Prophet ﷺ missed the Fajr prayer when they were on a journey and he had the Adhan called, performed the two rakah of Fajr and then the Ikama and then the Fajr prayer in congregation as he normally used to do it, even with the Sunnah prayers. He performed the two rakah Sunnah of Fajr and then he performed the obligatory prayer. That means if you woke up late for Fajr, you should perform the Sunnah prayers as well as the obligatory prayer. This was the practice of the Prophet ﷺ. Without delay. Yani, as soon as you woke up, you should get up and pray. Yani, if anyone forgot or overslept, the Prophet said you should pray as soon as you remembered it or as soon as you awaken. Any other comments? Now it should be time for the adhan. Now, huh? Oh, there's a question. Yes. Assalamu oh. alaikum. Uh, isn't there a sound hadith which states that the Isha begins when the stars appear? Is there sound hadith of Isha time being up until Fajr? <coughs> uh, I don't know about the Isha prayer when the stars appear, but the meaning of this appears to be, yani from the English translation as you are giving it, it appears to be that the Isha prayer is when darkness comes. Yani when the uh, redness of the setting of the sun disappears completely, 
and the sky is dark there is no more light from the sun because after sunset the light of the sun remains in the sky but when the redness of the sun completely disappears after uh, after sunset then this appears to be the meaning of these wordings when the stars appear yani that means in the night when it's dark uh, about the time of Isha being up until Fajr there is difference of opinion many of the scholars said that every prayer uh, as we will come to this later that every prayer is up until the time of the next prayer except the Fajr prayer the Fajr prayer is up until sunrise but the other prayers are up until the next prayer and therefore they said that the prayer being the Isha prayer being up to one third of the night or one half of the night means the preferable time though if someone missed it for some legitimate reason even still they should pray it even up until Fajr but the preferable time of Isha is up until one third of the night or up until one half of the night and it shouldn't be delayed after that even some of the scholars like Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen gave fatwa that the people who are performing Hajj when they left from Muzdalifah uh, from uh, Arafat to go to Muzdalifah it was the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that the prayer of Maghrib and Isha should not be prayed until the person reaches Muzdalifah that means that you will pray it either in the end of the time of Maghrib because you will not leave Arafat until Maghrib until the sun has set Therefore you will not reach Muzdalifah until the end of the time of Maghrib or until after the time of Maghrib is finished. Then you will pray Maghrib and Isha. He said that this is the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ and some of the scholars such as Imam Nawawi in his explanation of Sahih Muslim and Al-Qurtubi in his explanation of Sahih Muslim and Al-Qadi Al-Iyad in his explanation of Sahih Muslim. All of them said the same thing that the prayer of Maghrib and Isha should not be prayed until the person reaches Muzdalifah except in the case of the person who is delayed except in the case of the person who is delayed till past midnight then in that case some of the scholars said you may pray it even before you reach Muzdalifah because the chosen or preferable time of Isha is up until one third or one half of the night and it shouldn't be delayed after that and this is the opinion of some of the scholars uh, this is pro- probably the best opinion that the, the prayer being performed up until one third or half of the night is the preferable time but it is permissible even to pray it after that up until Fajr and Allah knows best now it was delayed there are different reasons for the prayer being delayed uh-huh. delayed the prayer because of battle during this time some of the scholars said that first of all during the battle the prayer was delayed because it was before the legislation of Salat al-Khawf yani now after the legislation of the fair prayer if anyone is in the battle still they have to perform the prayer not to delay it but they should join themselves in ranks praying one rank at a time and there are different ways of performing this prayer many of them are narrated in the authentic hadith in al-Bukhari and Muslim but now after the, after the, uh, the legislation of the fear prayer, the prayer of fear when someone is on the battlefield facing the enemy, after that it is not an excuse to delay the prayer, but the Muslims should perform the fear prayer even on the battlefield. Even on the battlefield the prayer should be prayed. But that was before the revelation of this prayer or before the legislation of this prayer. That means that even if a person is on the battle they should not delay the prayer out of this time. You still have to perform it. But if someone overslept as soon as they are woken they should perform the prayer without further delay 
This will be discussed in more detail concerning the making up of the prayers. When we discuss the chapter of making up the prayers, we'll discuss those who overslept, those who forgot, or those who are under compulsion, who are unable to pray because of some compulsion, compulsive reason that they have no control over. We will discuss it in more detail. But if you overslept, as soon as you awakened, you should perform wudu and you should perform the prayer without delay. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, ashadu an la ilaha illa anta, astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayka.